Chapter 20 of History of Philosophy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Brent. History of Philosophy by William Turner. Chapter 20. Neo-Pythagoreanism and Neoplatonism. During the Greco-Oriental period of its history, philosophy seemed to turn to the supernatural for light and assistance. While, however, Philo sought to supply his supernatural element by bringing to bear on philosophical problems the whole wealth of Jewish religious ideas, Neoplatonism looked for supernatural light not in any system of religion, but in such communication with the divine as each man may, by his own individual effort, attain. In the Neoplatonic movement, we may distinguish 1. The transition schools, 2. Neoplatonism in its earlier form, 3. The Syrian school, 4. The school of Constantinople, 5. The Athenian school, 6. The Alexandrian school. 1. Transition schools. The way was prepared for the Neoplatonic movement by Neopythagoreans and Pythagorizing Platonists who, before the time of Plotinus, agreed in admitting that philosophical knowledge is to be supplemented and perfected by communication with a more or less vaguely defined transcendent divine something. The chief Neo-Pythagoreans were Figulus, 45 BC, of whom Cicero speaks, Apollonius of Tyana, and Moderatus of Gades, both of whom lived in Nero's time, and Nicomachus of Geraza, who lived in the time of the Antonines. The philosophy of the Neo-Pythagoreans is a blending of Pythagorean traditions with Platonism, Aristotelianism, and Stoicism. The Neo-Pythagoreans taught a highly spiritual notion of God, in accordance with which they interpreted the numbers and the ideas of their predecessors to mean ideas in the mind of God. They attached great importance to the spiritual elements in human life, to mysticism, ecstasy, and prophecy. And around the lives of Pythagoras and Apollonius, they threw a halo of supernaturalism, exalting these philosophers into ideals of human conduct, into prophets and servants of God. Of the Pythagorizing Platonists, the best known are Eudorus of Alexandria, died about 25 BC, Thrasyllus, died A.D. 36, Plutarch, A.D. 50 to 125, Maximus of Tyre, end of the 2nd century, Celsus, about A.D. 200, the opponent of Christianity, and Numenius, end of the 2nd century. To this school belong also the so-called Hermetic books, the writings of the pretended Hermes Trismegistus, which date from the latter part of the 3rd century, and come apparently from an Egyptian branch of the school. All these writers manifest an inclination on the part of the Platonists to admit the religious ideas of the East as supplemental to philosophy. They lay stress on the antagonism between the spiritual and the carnal in man, between the spiritual and the material in the universe, and in order to bridge over the chasm between these antithetical elements, they admit the existence of creatures intermediate between God and the material world. 2. Neoplatonism in its earlier form. 
Ammonius Saccas, AD 176-242, of Alexandria, is regarded as the founder of Neoplatonism. He did not commit his teachings to writing. It is to his disciple Plotinus that we owe the first written exposition of his system. Plotinus Life Plotinus, a native of Lycopolis in Egypt, lived from 205 to 270. In 253, he went to Rome and there won over to his philosophy the emperor Gallienus and his wife Salonina. In 263, he retired to Campania, where he died six or seven years later. Sources Footnote For bibliography of Neoplatonism, cross-reference Ritter and Prello, opposite page 519, add Whittaker, The Neoplatonists, London, 1901. End footnote. The works of Plotinus consisted originally of 54 apostles. After having, as some maintain, undergone a previous recession at the hands of Eustochius, these apostles were collected by Porphyry and arranged according to subject matter in six Enneads. Doctrines General Character of Neoplatonism the Neoplatonists made use of the Agrafa Dogmata. Footnote. Cross-reference, page 95. End footnote. And, in general, were more influenced by Platonic tradition than by the teaching of the dialogues. In this way, they were led to accentuate more and more the mystical element in human thought, to separate matter from spirit, and to have recourse to the doctrine of emanations. The philosophy of Plotinus centers around three ideas, the one, the nous, and the world's soul, which for him constitute a kind of philosophical trinity. The one. Plotinus, like Philo, starts with the notion of God. God is described as the one, the good, rather than a being or mind, for he transcends all being and all rational nature. He is the primal reality. Therefore, he is not properly styled intelligence, because intelligence, nous, implies two elements, the act of knowing and the object known. And duality cannot be primal, because it presupposes unity. God, therefore, is absolute unity, undifferentiated by any act of his will or intellect, or by any predication on our part, except the predication of unity and goodness. But goodness leads to emanation, which is at least an apparent breaking up of the unity of the one into the multiplicity of the manifold. Plotinus, however, explains that created things come from the primal one, not by a transference of part of the nature of the one, nor by an act of will, but by a process called emanation. The process, then, is not one of creation, nor is it a process of emanation in the pantheistic sense. It is an overflow of the perfection of the one supreme reality, a beam sent forth from the infinite light. And with these metaphorical expressions, Plotinus seems to have contented himself, being unable to describe more definitely the nature of the process of emanation. The one sheds around itself an usia, or essence, which like a light conveys the luster of the one, and is also its image. The image, turning to the one, 
recognizes itself as an image. Thus, does the essence become intellect, a dual principle, the source of all subsequent differentiation of the one? The intellect is, like the logos of Philo, the agglomerate of ideas. It is, indeed, expressly identified by Plotinus with Plato's world of ideas. Now, the ideas are differentiated in the intellect by an act of reflection, precisely in the same way as the intellect differentiated itself from the one by an act of reflection. But the act of reflection, while it distinguishes the ideas in the intellect, does not dissociate or separate them from it. They sever themselves, because they are essentially operative powers. By this separation, they give rise to the world of phenomena, not indeed immediately, but through the further mediation of the world's soul. The world's soul. As the noose is an image of the one, the world's soul is an image of the noose. Being the image of an image, it is, as it were, doubly dual. In fact, while it is in part akin to the intellect, it is in part unlike the intellect, for it is in part essentially inclined to realize the ideas in concrete phenomena. However, before we come to the material phenomenon, there is still another step, another intermediate emanation. The world's soul gives rise to individual souls, or, more properly, to plastic forces, loki, loki spermatiki. These, in turn, give rise to matter, with which they combine to constitute material phenomena. Matter, therefore, emanates from the plastic forces, which emanate from the world's soul. The world's soul, as we have seen, emanates from the intellect, and intellect emanates from the one. In this way, light, in the series of emanations, becomes darkness, for matter is the antithesis of the one. Matter is multiplicity, change, not being, privation, the source of all evil, the protu kakoi. It is present everywhere in the world of phenomena, in composition with the plastic forces, in the heavens, where it is united with a most perfect soul, in the stars, where it is united with the visible gods, in the powers of air and sky, where it is united with the demons, who mediate between the stars and the souls of men, in the body of man, where it is united with the human soul, and in inorganic bodies, where it is united with the lowest of the plastic forces. Wherever it is present, it is the principle of imperfection, limitation, and evil. Psychological Doctrines Man is therefore a compound of matter and that plastic force which is the human soul. The soul is immaterial. It existed before the union with the body. It was united to the body in punishment for some primordial guilt. It survives the body, but is liable to be sent back into the bodies of animals or plants, according to the degree in which it attached itself to material things during its union with the body. This doctrine of future retribution implies freedom on the part of the soul, and Plotinus maintains the doctrine of freedom in opposition to the teaching of the Stoics. 
Return of the Soul to God Plotinus, following Plato, attaches little importance to the senses as means of acquiring knowledge of reality. In order to attain knowledge of the ideal, which alone is real, the soul must retire into itself and there contemplate the intellect, which is indwelling in each of us. Proceeding along this path of self-contemplation, the soul rises from the contemplation of the intellect within us to a contemplation of the One. This final step is not, however, to be attained unless the One Himself sheds upon the soul a special light, whereby the soul is enabled to see the One. In the splendor of that light, all apprehension and all consciousness disappear. The soul is wrapped in ecstasy, ecstasis, and is reunited with the One, whence all things have emanated. This ecstasy is the supreme happiness of man. It is, therefore, man's duty first to withdraw from the world of sense by a process of purification, kartasis, then, freed from the bonds of sense, to rise in contemplation of God, and thus become truly spiritual, the man of God, the prophet, the wonder-worker. Tanmaturgus, Historical Position The philosophy of Plotinus is an elaborate attempt to bring the transcendent spiritual element of religion into harmony with the philosophy of Plato, or, more correctly, with the philosophy of the Platonists. Plotinus the pagan attempted to accomplish what Philo the Jew had attempted to accomplish two centuries before. He imagined that by his doctrine of emanations, he had bridged over the chasm between the one and the world of sense phenomena. But, like all monists, he was doomed to failure. His exclusion of volition and thought from the concept of the deity forbade the introduction of a principle of differentiation. He could not consistently maintain the origin of the multiple from the one. Among the disciples of Plotinus, Porphyry, A.D. 233-304, is best known on account of his treatise, Isagogi Istas Categorias, an introduction to the logic of Aristotle. It was he who reduced the works of Plotinus to their present form. His exposition of the doctrines of Plotinus contains some material additions to his master's teaching in regard to questions of asceticism, the use of magic, and the worship of demons. 3. Syrian School Iamblichus of Syria died about A.D. 330, a pupil of Porphyry, developing the mystico-religious ideas of the Neoplatonists, elaborated a systemic defense of polytheism. Above the one, he places the absolute first. The nous, he divides into an intelligible and intellectual, each of which he divides into triads. These are the superterrestrial gods. The terrestrial gods, he divides into 300, and 60 celestial beings, 72 orders of subcelestial, and 42 orders of natural gods. Inferior to these are angels, demons, and heroes. Iamblichus endeavored to introduce the worship of Pythagoras, writing for this purpose a life of Pythagoras, 
full of legend and fable. Peritu Pythagorico Vio. 4. School of Constantinople. After the failure of the Neoplatonic attempt to restore pagan philosophy, an attempt which received the imperial sanction of Julian, who reigned from AD 361 to 363, the Neoplatonists went back once more to the works of Plato and Aristotle. Inaugurating an era of more eager study and more elaborate exegesis of the writings of these great masters. At Constantinople, under the patronage of the Christian emperors, Themistius devoted himself to the task of commentating the works of Aristotle. Though he remained a pagan, Themistius was obliged to make concessions to the Christian religion, which was just then emerging victorious from its struggle with pagan civilization. Constantinople, however, did not long remain the center of the new movement. Its place was taken by Athens, which once more became the focus of the Hellenistic philosophy, and Constantinople disappeared from the history of philosophy to reappear in Byzantine times. 5. The Athenian School About the beginning of the 5th century, a new school of Platonism arose in Athens. Its chief representatives were Plutarchus, Syrianus, and Proclus. Proclus, AD 410-485, endeavoured by means of Aristotelian dialectic to synthesize and systematize the Neoplatonic doctrines. He retained the essential elements of Neoplatonism, monism, doctrine of the noose, emanation, antithesis of matter and spirit, mysticism, belief in demons, magic, etc. The principle on which he endeavored to unify all these was that of triadic development. That which is produced is similar to that which produces it. At the same time, it differs from it, as the derivative differs from the original. By reasons of this difference from the original, the derivative differentiates or produces, while by reason of its identity with the original, it tends to return to it. Thus, we have the original, the emergence from the original, and the return, in a lower form, to the original. Moni proodos epistrophi, the three stages of triadic development. The absolute original is the one, superior to all created unity, to all being, to all knowledge. From the one come, by the first emanation, the Henades, Enades. They alone are related to the world. They are the supreme gods. It is they who exercise providence over worldly affairs. Next, from the Hanades come, by a second emanation, the triad. Intelligible, intelligible intellectual, and intellectual being, having for chief properties being life and thought. Each member of the triad is further differentiated into a hebdomad. A series is thus formed, of which each member corresponds to one of the divinities of the pagan pantheon. The most important point of difference between Proclus and Plotinus is the doctrine of the origin of matter. According to Proclus, matter is derived immediately from the unlimited, the first of the intelligible triads. According to Plotinus, on the contrary, matter is derived from the plastic forces, and thus ultimately 
through the world's soul, and the intellect from the one. Proclus maintained that the duty of man is to rise from the sensuous to the supersensuous, in the hope of reaching the mystical union with God, which constitutes supreme happiness. Like Plotinus, he believed that such a union is impossible without a special illumination from on high, and he advocated as means of attaining this illumination all religious helps, magic, demon worship, hero worship, which a decadent paganism could offer. It was Proclus who gave Neoplatonism its final, most complete form. His successor, Simplicius, is more important as a commentator than as an independent thinker. 6. Alexandrian School Among the pupils of Proclus was Ammonius, who taught at Alexandria during the 5th century. With him are associated the names Damascius, John Philoponus, 6th century, Simplicius, and Olympiodorus. It was at Alexandria that Hypatia, during the first decade of the 5th century, attempted to restore pagan philosophy. After her time, Philoponus and Olympiodorus, the last representatives of Neoplatonism in the East, became converts to Christianity, and the warfare so long waged between the new religion and the old philosophy came to an end. Pagan Platonism gave way before the Platonism of the Christian Church. Historical Position Neoplatonism is Platonism in the condition of senile debility. The contrast between Plato and Proclus is sufficient to show that philosophy degenerated rather than developed in its unequal struggle with the new religion, and the degeneracy was not confined to the speculative portion of Plato's philosophy. That it extended also to ethics is manifest from the substitution of the practice of magic for the practice of virtue. What prolonged the life of Neoplatonism was the opposition of the pagan world, and especially of the learned world of paganism, to Christianity. When, AD 529, Justinian forbade the teaching of philosophy at Athens, the Platonists emigrated to Persia. Thirty years later, there was no Platonism outside the Christian Church. Neoplatonism is the last phase of pagan philosophy, although the most important systems of Neoplatonism fall within the Christian era, they belong in spirit and in contents to the pagan world. With the history of Neoplatonism, therefore, the history of ancient philosophy comes to an end. End of chapter 20 and end of part 1